May our thoughts, words, and actions be holy and acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. It is good to be with you here this morning, Trinity, on this homecoming Sunday. It feels good to gather, to sing, to process, to lift our voices as praise as we gather to worship and pray and partake of bread made body and wine made blood, and of course eat hot dogs and hamburgers and ice cream and all the good things that are waiting for us later on. But we take a moment to stop and to listen to Jesus' words. In our gospel lesson today, we hear Jesus offering another parable, a parable of two very different people who in some way are related both in life and in death. We first hear about a rich man. Jesus says there was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and who feasted sumptuously every day. Now, in hearing this sentence, we don't quite fully grasp what's going on here because it wasn't just a rich man. It was an incredibly wealthy man. Francois Beauvoir says that he was scandalously rich, rich beyond any knowing. We hear about his clothing, and again, it doesn't necessarily give any indicators to us, but the Greek word we translate as purple actually means this dye that was derived by sea snails. And you had to get so many snails together, and the work was so utterly intensive that any cloth dyed by this was incredibly expensive. It was so expensive that in the Roman and Byzantine empires, it was reserved for the emperor only. So it wasn't just, you know, some pretty shade for an overcoat. It was in itself a scandalous display of wealth. And then we heard here that he wears linen, but not just any linen, the finest linen This word in Greek, again, means the finest linen from Egypt or India. And so it wasn't that he was just dressed nicely. He was in the finest clothes even the Roman emperor could acquire. And these weren't special clothes. These were just his things that he wore every day. We learned also that every day he feasted sumptuously, in a way that most people can only dream of. I imagine days full of caviar and foie gras and truffles and the finest champagne. He lived the good life. It wasn't just any rich man, but a caricature of what? A caricature of a rich person. A rich person to the nth degree. Jesus is calling upon our imagination here. And then we have the other person, who's all the way on the other side, this man, Lazarus. As the rich man is an exaggerated portrait of wealth, so is Lazarus an exaggerated portrait of poverty. The only thing that he possesses is his name. He doesn't have anything else. He doesn't have food or a home or friends or family. He doesn't even have his health. We hear his body is covered with sores and even the dogs, which at that time were considered unclean, dirty animals, 
would come and lick his sword. He is the extremity of poverty. In both of these extremes, these two people experienced death and find themselves in reversed circumstances. Something that Jesus does often in the Gospel of Luke is flip things upside down. Lazarus we find in the bosom of Abraham, living the life of ease, and the rich man finds himself tormented in Hades. So what do we make of this story? Do we take away from this that anybody who's rich is going to be tormented, and anybody who's poor goes to sort of a paradise? I don't think so. I think, I think to understand it, we have to understand that this parable is actually the second half to the parable we heard in last week's Gospel. These parables are together, and Jesus teaches them as one. If you weren't here last week or you don't remember, we heard the parable of the dishonest manager. This manager who, you know, he squanders all the wealth of his, of the owner of the household. And then when the owner of the household calls him to task, he goes and he cuts everybody's bill, what they owe, so that they'll be nice to him once he's fired. And then the owner, you know, sort of praises him and says, good job, you know, the opposite of what we expect and we learn from that teaching, that shocking teaching, that Jesus says that money is deceitful and that the true currency of what we believe in is mercy and justice and love. In the verses in between that story and this one that are left out, Jesus is ridiculed by the religious elite that are hearing him. They think he's ridiculous. And so they start making fun of him. They didn't understand that the currency of the kingdom of God is different than the one of this world. But instead of possessions and money, the currency of the kingdom is mercy, justice, and love. So Jesus tries to make his point in a different way. He offers the counterpoint to last week's parable, this story that delves deeper into his suggestion that what the world values is not necessarily what is truly valuable. And Jesus saying the same thing in a different way. Now, Jesus isn't suggesting that we be like Lazarus. Both he and the rich man are such exaggerations of different states of life but the logical conclusion to draw from Jesus' teaching is that the goal of godly living is to be somewhere in between. Not to be without everything, and not to be with everything and not seeing. To live life mindful that the things we have, that the money we accumulate, is not the ultimate worth. The author of 1 Timothy advises us to seek contentment. He writes, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment, for we brought nothing into the world so that we take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. This contentment, the putting of money and possessions in the correct place. Contentment isn't what the rich man was after. He was so obsessed with living the most 
ostentatiously luxurious life he could, that he missed the person in need right at his doorstep. He was so inwardly focused that he missed Lazarus, this man with only his name to him, this man who winds up better than the richest among us who only seek pleasure, because in the kingdom, things are different. We, as the children of God, dance to a different tune, the tune of mercy, justice, and love. As I was thinking about Homecoming Sunday, when I look around Trinity and the past months that we've had together and this past year, I feel like we live really well into our sacred currency, into this idea that what is important is mercy and justice and love. We continue to try and express these things as the body of Christ here in Concord. I think of our all-hands-on-deck ministry who took in an Afghan family and provided them housing and taught them English and helped them find their next steps and their apartment, this group that continues to work with Afghan evacuees. I think of our social justice ministry, which is committed to the work of anti-racism. I think of our outreach. You know, we're going to have two opportunities coming up, gaining ground which provides wholesome food to those in need, and build a bed where we partner with the Massachusetts Coalition for the Homeless to provide beds for adolescents who have nowhere to sleep. I think of the way we express our love for God and for each other, and I'm heartened by it. I think of all the people that lead us in worship, from the altar guild to the vergers and the lambs, the lectors, the choir. I'm sure I'm missing some people there, but you get the point. Preparing for worship is an act of love. I think of our new parish care team, the people who come together to make sure that people are okay, who send notes and visits and food when it's needed. I think of the way our parish expresses love in hosting the funerals as people mourn and gather and remember, or as we welcome new people into the life of Christ through the waters of baptism, the joy that we all celebrate. Think of yesterday when two of our young people were confirmed here in our sacred place. All of these things are expressions of love and justice and mercy. Today, this homecoming Sunday, is a time to celebrate those things, to celebrate all that we are, and yet I think there's still an invitation, still an invitation to examine, still a call of the Spirit this day, the voice that asks us, who is the Lazarus sitting on our doorstep unnoticed and uncared for? Because there's always somebody there. Or maybe the Spirit is asking us the question, when do we pursue luxury instead of contentment at the cost of others? As we celebrate all that we are doing and we have much 
to find joy in. Let us not lead to complacency because there's always more to do. The Christian life isn't something that we can just check off and say, okay, I'm done with that, I'm fine. We're called to continual striving to live as Christ's body in the world. To not be distracted by possessions or the pursuit of wealth or mere enjoyment of worldly pleasures, to put those in their proper place and to be true members of the kingdom of God, the kingdom where mercy, justice, and love reign. Amen.